Hey there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Thursday, September the 3rd. Coming up, are downtowns turning into ghost towns? Are we really headed for second lockdown? And should COVID-19 testing be available at your neighborhood pharmacy? Let's get to it. It's all coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur Podcast. I'm going to welcome Mary and Rob into the conversation almost immediately because we're going to deal with something that is not exactly, well, my area of expertise. Okay, we're here for you, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate it because uh, this is making headlines everywhere. It's something we need to discuss. We have to talk about, but we are getting sex advice from Dr. Teresa Tam. Right. Right. Yes, uh, Canada's chief uh, medical officer in a statement on, uh, how can I put this? Having relations, Dr. Tam says that the government is uh, advising people not to kiss. And if you are uh, going to, uh, you know, be in that way, get, get together, uh, you should wear a mask. Now, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so all, just to be clear, there's no singing, there's no dancing, and no sex without a mask. Is yes. Right? I mean, insert it? your own joke here, right? I mean, really, sometimes the comedy mm-hmm. writes itself. And I think that's the case here. Yeah. Uh, and is it just Ooh. me? Is it just me or Dr. Tam? I mean, this is very important information. I mean, we're not. Medical? Yes. We're not disregarding this or making uh, light of it. It's important information in these times. Right. But is it just me or Dr. Tam discussing sex? Is that kind of like, uh, I don't know, talking about uh, sex with your parents? Yeah. <laughs> Which nobody exactly wants. Exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. uh, she's been asked around this kind of question before, and I was doing some research for the show, and she talks around it. She has talked around it, not wanting to actually say what she finally said. No mask, no love. So it is very, very much like having that discussion, the talk uh, with your parents. We talk all around it and sort of mm-hmm. kind of about it, but not really. And and this was uh, kind of curious. It was in a statement, a uh, written statement from the uh, government and from Dr. Tam. This isn't something that she was asked in a press conference. <laughs> These are medical guidelines, people. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> wear a mask. Yeah. Just uh, please wear a mask and no kissing. Those are the uh, two pieces of information and advice from the uh, government of Canada today. So uh, bear it in mind as you uh, go forward. All right. Okay. With the uh, closure of more and more businesses due to the pandemic, there is the threat, the threat that the very nature of our cities are changing right before our very eyes. I mean, we've discussed this particularly this week. Remember coming on the air on Monday and talking about the closure of Kit Kat restaurant on John Street and the office pub as well. Long established, long time restaurants in the theater district along John that have sadly had to close their doors for good. And now people are asking the question whether or not our downtowns are they turning into ghost towns? John Kuru is the executive director of the Toronto Association of Business Improvement and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. John, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, doing well, Jeff. Thank you. Happy Thursday to you, or does the day matter anymore? Well, you know, we lose track of them, don't we? We certainly have through the uh, summer of uh, 2020 in this uh, pandemic. But just uh, first of all, how worried are you and the association that Toronto's downtown is seemingly just changing before our eyes? Well, uh, you know, we're all we're all concerned. There is no question, uh, notwithstanding the safety factor and all the things we've had to do. 
I think we can all agree that whether it's downtowns or main streets or any other commercial areas, they are absolutely not going to be the same as what we remembered previous to this. Um, and the downtown is probably the most visible. Uh, you know, if you have the opportunity to take a stroll outside, if you live downtown, you certainly see the different dynamic. Go down there in the evening and the lights on most buildings are almost completely off. Not that that's not a good thing in terms of the environment, but there are definitely telltale signs of the lack of people, if you will, uh, down in the inner core who are the local drivers of the economy. Uh, the GO trains are a lot less occupied transit in general, which all translates to the fact that more and more people are working from home and it's having a significant impact, whether it's on the path system that supplies uh, the lifeblood uh, to those buildings or even up on, up on the street level where uh, some of the shops uh, have not reopened. And it's not just a financial district, you know, Toronto's blessed with a number of universities. And if you take a look at Ryerson universities, they've postponed going back to classes till the new year. So it's online classes, but those falafel shops, those pubs, uh, those other restaurants that are dependent on the students or the business person in the towers, they're all feeling uh, the impact of this. Yeah, and you know, I wanted to concentrate on a couple of factors, and since you have been talking about uh, the people or lack thereof downtown, let's start there, and let's start with that, because I think some people, John, maybe earlier in the pandemic in particular, were maybe kind of reticent to go out, and some were happy that the city wasn't as congested as it uh, was before the uh, pandemic. Having said that, though, you use the word lifeblood, and it's so true. I mean, when you don't have that hustle and that bustle, you just don't have that energy. And here we are in the uh, third phase of the uh, reopening, and we're still not seeing what we uh, saw and or felt before. And is there a real danger that that's gone and gone for good, perhaps? Well, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing two sides of the story. We're hearing that some businesses are going to continue to uh, – uh, ask their employees to work from home, um, and others are saying, well, we're going to take up more space downtown, we're going to re retrofit and move away from open concept offices to private offices and start bringing people uh, people back in. So there's a couple of mindsets that are out there to be, uh, to be played out. Uh, you know, we've seen the transit authorities uh, cooperate with our call to have mandatory masks on them to make it feel safer for people to take transits, to come into the inner core. Uh, so those are still helpful things. But we're also finding that some of the people that are coming back to work, the slow trickle that's happening, are still very cognizant of the, uh, the health requirements, et cetera. And maybe instead of going out for lunch, they're packing their lunch and they're really not leaving their desk till the end of the day. So uh, even as people start coming back, um, you know, there is still going to be that, that lag, that uh, you know, insecurity in terms of being out there. I suspect until a vaccine is put into place, we really won't see the full uh, impact out there. I mean, uh, you know, what sort of messages? We, we sent the messages to all those towers, to all those banks, et cetera, so, you know, keep their people at home uh, at the very beginning. Now, you know, how do you, how do you 
since we're still not out of it, and you talked a little earlier about the potential about a second wave, and we're seeing some numbers come up, is that the front of that wave that's sort of coming around? How do you tell these businesses to start bringing their people back uh, when we're still uncertain about this thing? So a lot of factors at play. Uh, we need to be careful, uh, but at the same time, uh, you're absolutely right to the point that downtown specifically are a different creature, and I suspect that there will be uh, fallout from this. Yeah, it just seems to be not the same energy or vibrancy that there once was due to the uh, lack of people or certainly not as many people as there was before. Also, you mentioned that things won't change until we have a vaccine. And will that arrive perhaps too late for a lot of businesses and for the downtown? I mentioned a second ago about Kit Kat and the office pub uh, closing uh, for good. And one of the things that makes our city so good, so great, is our diversity, our multiculturalism. And that is really uh, reflected in many ways, but in particular by the restaurant uh, business and the uh, food business uh, in this city. And are we going to lose that? Is there the chance by the time a vaccine is here that there's many of these great uh, restaurants that mean so much to so many of us are going to be closed and closed for good? I, uh, Jeff, I, I don't disagree. At the same time, I'm an optimist at best, uh, and I truly feel that we do have, we are, in, after all, the world's most ethnically diverse city. Uh, you know, uh, our tourism catch for many of the BIAs is, visit the world in seven days without a passport. Uh, you can go from community to community, if eat a different cultural meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you know, for a full week, and still not have experienced the entire uh, gambit that's out there. Uh, again, I, you know, I don't doubt that there will be impacts. We will be losing businesses. We have lost businesses, some very good restaurants, uh, you know, early in this pandemic, as well as now, and we will continue to do so after the ledgers are looked at by a lot of the businesses in terms of the deferrals that have taken place and the time to start paying back some of those deferrals, et cetera. So it's going to take a concerted effort to make sure that our cultural, ethnic gastronomy uh, that we have in this city is, in fact, upheld and supported by the wonderful people that are here, the jobs that we create. And uh, I, like I said, I've got a lot of faith. Toronto is a strong, strong city. Uh, we will bounce back from this without some scars, but nonetheless, uh, I'm fully optimistic that we will bounce back from this. Yeah, and some major changes perhaps, John. I mean, gaze into your crystal ball for us, if you could. And what does downtown Toronto look like a decade, 10 years from now, when hopefully all of, the, all of this is behind us or mostly uh, behind us? Are what we're seeing going on right now the beginnings of maybe a, a reset for downtown Toronto? For sure. I think the first thing we're going to see is that we won't have to wear masks to kiss each other out there. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I, I think that there will be a reset. I think that uh, the health departments and, and the layouts of stores and the occupancy of the streets. I mean, Cafe Tio has been a wonderful example of what could be done in this city. Uh, to, you know, some people call it more of a European approach uh, to dining out, to have cafes out there, to using the public realm in, in a more effective way. 
et cetera. And I see a lot of that. I see a lot of the, the squares that many of the downtown buildings have uh, that at most times are sort of a flat uh, piazza that will be more occupied by people. So I think that there will be definitely a renaissance in, in, in urbanism. Uh, and I think this is simply accelerating the, the bicycle and, and the outdoor dining and, and the like. So uh, no doubt uh, the planners will take this sort of stuff into account and we're hopeful that we'll learn from this. Not that it's anybody's fault in itself, but I think that urbanism will definitely uh, look at doing things differently. All right. To be continued, for sure. John, really appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Keep well. Stay safe. You as well. John Curo is the executive director of the Toronto BIA. Well, as we all know, back to school is looming for the province. COVID numbers are up in several provinces. And the big question is, are we headed for a second lockdown, a second wave? Could we see a rollback and perhaps another lockdown? Let's ask uh, Dr. Alon Vaisman. He's an infectious disease expert at the University Health Network, and the doctor joins us now here on Global News Radio. Doctor, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, first of all, let me just ask you point blank. Uh, what do you think? Is a second wave, is it inevitable? Is that where we're heading? I think it's very, very likely that we're going to have a second wave in the coming months uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one is that we're already seeing cases rise in other parts of Canada, and so it's more likely to have occurred here in Ontario for various reasons, Some, somewhat related to also the fact that people are a little bit less lax in terms of their infection control practices. The second thing is that schools are going to be opening up shortly, and that's a big wild card in terms of a potential source for additional cases. And then third, it'll coincide with flu season. And we know that respiratory viruses generally rise in the fall time. So those are the factors which make you think that it's it's very likely to occur. Yeah, let me ask you about this long weekend that's pending. We got the Labor Day long weekend, and you mentioned people getting a little lax when it comes to uh, prevention and uh, COVID protocols. And then right after that, we have back to school. Seems like a perfect storm. Yes, if people aren't adherent to the recommendations, then there certainly is that likelihood that it'll happen. In Toronto and for all of Ontario, we're about five weeks into stage three and generally, the numbers have been stable but slowly rising. So this this uh, upcoming weekend could be a big predictor in terms of what happens next. Yeah, it really feels like this is crucial, right? That people really have to maintain their uh, physical distance, their social uh, bubbles, uh, really be vigilant, uh, really diligent when it comes to a following protocol. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because this is one of the last, or maybe the only, the last uh, long weekend we have of the summer. So people are going to want to take advantage of that. But but yeah, it's more important than ever that we maintain those uh, recommendations as best as we can. Let's talk a bit about those recommendations, particularly when it comes to this bubble, this social bubble, because I think a lot of parents, doctor, are struggling with uh, the government kind of telling them two things. Uh, First, that, uh, you know, maintain your social bubble, make sure that uh, you have uh, limited contact with a limited amount of people, yet their kids are going back into school in a week or two and going to be exposed to 100, 200, uh, you know, teachers and fellow students inside of school. So... How does that all make sense? Yeah, this is where the personal risk assessment comes in because it's going to be challenging for the government to make one single recommendation for everyone in the population. So the the general idea is to try to minimize people in your bubble as much as possible. But of course, some people are going to be having their kids return to school very shortly. And even still, the idea is to make a risk assessment about what's going on in your family. Let's say you have young kids going to school. You also have grandparents. You also have elderly friends. There's where you make the decision of trying to cut things down, trying to minimize interaction with the most vulnerable people, 
while maintaining your kids being able to go to school. It's about uh, you know what your personal risk threshold is and also your ability to try to maintain care for your kids for as long as you can. So it is a balance of things. And people should still try to do their best to try to minimize exposure during this time. There's been a lot of talk amongst families the last week or two that have elderly grandparents, whether or not I'm sure in the middle of this, in the middle of summer, they were so happy to be reunited when uh, bubbles were allowed to expand with their grandkids that they hadn't seen for months. But should families be cautious and worried with kids going back to school? And you think that uh, grandparents need to take maybe a step back again, since obviously they're a little older and in that more vulnerable group? Yeah, I think every family is going to have to make that decision for themselves, but certainly it would make more sense now, especially for the people who are more vulnerable, the elderly immunosuppressed individuals, to try to be a little, have a little less interaction with the, the family where you, or individuals in the family where you suspect they might have a lot of contact with outside people. But of course, some families can't do that. Some of them rely on grandparents providing care for their children. So in those cases, you just have to do your best to try to be as safe as you can, you hand hygiene, maintaining distance whenever possible, and uh, also keep being very vigilant for symptoms. Joined on the line by Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease expert. We're talking about a, a possible a rollback, second lockdown, maybe a second wave and a back to school. And when it comes to a second wave, uh, doctor, do we have any idea? We, we know COVID numbers, unfortunately, are on the rise, particularly in B.C., Alberta, and as you mentioned earlier, we would think that maybe Ontario will follow a suit, unfortunately. Do we know what would actually constitute, uh, is there a caseload or a particular number that would constitute uh, an official second wave? Yeah, a second wave is kind of an ambiguous idea because really the, what we label waves and what we label the, value, the, the rising cases, it, it only matters insofar as what we're going to do about it. So the, the way that labeling a second wave is going to matter is if we're going to pull back and try to restrict activity like we did back in March and April. So this will be different between jurisdictions, whether one jurisdiction considers a so-and-so rise in cases, you know, a whatever percentage rise or a raise in, a rise in positivity of testing. It will depend on the jurisdiction and depends on the risk groups. So some, some areas may lock down much faster than other areas, depending on what's going on. So um, there isn't a set definition, and everyone will make the, the call on their own, probably on the province level. All right. And uh, provincially in Ontario, we know we reopen regionally. Of course, Toronto was uh, one of the last to go to phase two, phase three, because of our population numbers and our caseload. Would you expect then that to be the uh, case when it comes to perhaps a uh, second wave that uh, Toronto was last to reopen, might be uh, first to roll back if need be? Exactly. And yeah, that's exactly true. And also thinking about what kind of activities going on in Toronto, large gatherings, for example, uh, those are the kinds of things that will be the low-hanging fruit to try to restrict as soon as possible when you see that there's a, there's a bump in the cases. So just like rolling out was in that sequence in those areas of Ontario, the rolling back will be in the same phase. All right, Dr. Vaisman, appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right, be well. Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease expert at the University Health Network. Okay, uh, testing, of course. That has been a big topic of discussion since this pandemic first hit. Were there enough testing kits? Was there enough testing being done? Were the results coming in quick enough? And now neighborhood pharmacies, they're adding their voice to the conversation, saying that they can actually help when it comes to COVID testing. Sandra Hanna is the CEO of the Neighborhood Pharmacy Association and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Sandra, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for being here. Appreciate the uh, time. Uh, how do neighborhood pharmacies, uh, how do they want to help out when it comes to COVID testing? Well, I think most Canadians have a pharmacy within very close proximity to where they live, where they work. Um, the reality is that across Canada, there are about 11,000 pharmacies across across the country. So pharmacies are typically the first and most frequent point of contact that most Canadians have um, with the healthcare system. Um, where we see other parts of the healthcare system overloaded or at capacity, pharmacies um, present another option that's much closer to home, more convenient, more accessible, um, not just geographically, but even with their hours of operation. And if there's an opportunity for us to support um, in an area of the health system right now that, that is at capacity and, and we can expand capacity in an area that's, that's needed, um, there's a great opportunity for us to be able to do that. So, um, you know, when it comes to testing, we've, uh, we've been having conversations around how pharmacies can expand the access to asymptomatic testing. So, uh, currently, we have, um, you know, if, if you have symptoms or if you have known contacts, um, you know, we still recommend that those um, those Canadians or uh, go go to the, the the current testing centers that are equipped um, to continue to offer that range of testing. But we want to expand that capacity to um, people who are asymptomatic or don't necessarily have known contact uh, with a COVID positive case. But for example, teachers or um, school staff returning to schools or employees returning to their place of work or um, you know Canadians who are looking to go uh, visit a loved one who might be elderly or at a higher risk. Um, you know, asymptomatic testing can provide that sort of sense of comfort, um, you know, to some of those people uh, to be able to continue um, proceeding with some of those activities. Okay, that might answer, sorry to interrupt, but my next question, yeah. which is, can this be done, testing, COVID testing in neighborhood pharmacies safely? I mean, we've seen things like yeah. drive-through testing where people remain in their cars and healthcare professionals that come to them uh, fully uh, shielded and PPE. But is there not a concern that the people that are COVID positive could be coming uh, into contact with neighborhood pharmacy staff and customers? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's a very good question, and, and that's why we're really recommending asymptomatic testing be, be primarily done in pharmacies. This allows us to sort of separate those who are symptomatic or have known contact from those who haven't had known contact or don't have symptoms. And before doing these tests, so this is already happening in Alberta. They launched a pilot um, at the end of July, and it's now been uh, expanded to all to include all pharmacies um, across uh, Alberta. And, um, you know, they, they're doing a screening prior to actually performing the tests in the pharmacies to ensure that, um, you know, there are, there are no risk factors or, or no known risk factors, I should say, um, so that we can continue to, to sort of keep the asymptomatic patients separate from the symptomatic patients. In addition to that, you know, pharmacies have put in place a lot of great measures to uh, promote safety so that the appropriate PPE is available um, for staff and, and for, for uh, customers or, or patients. Um, they've uh, put in place uh, appropriate sanitization measures between, uh, between customers, but also throughout the day. Um, so there, there are a lot of safety procedures. That's, that's really the number one priority. We need to make sure that we keep not only pharmacy staff safe, but the, the public safe and, and uh, give them confidence that they can come into the pharmacy and, and not be uh, at risk. For sure. Can you detail for us a little more what happened, what's going on in Calgary, if that's a bit of a test market, uh, if you will, for neighborhood pharmacies doing a COVID test? When you say that there was screening going on, were they 
checking temperatures at the door? Uh, what sort of things were happening? Yeah, so so actually, Alberta pharmacies were involved in in COVID screening prior to them actually participating in testing. So they were helping the public health system in Alberta by um, helping to screen patients who uh, may have been exposed or may be symptomatic, and then they were then referring those uh, those Albertans on to um, public health uh, authorities wherever uh, there there was known risk. So this was early on in, in the days when testing was was not available as broadly. Um, since then, they've expanded that. So, so after doing that, that preliminary screening, it's, it's typically a questionnaire um, asking, asking um, you know, folks if, if they've been exposed or if there have been known exposures or if they have any symptoms. Um, and, and, then, um, and, then, and then previously where they would have then referred them on to the public health or the testing centers, now those pharmacies are actually also able to say, okay, you know, you, you've passed the qualifications or the, the eligibility criteria for um, asymptomatic testing. We can perform that testing here in the pharmacy. What is the next step uh, here in this province? Because we heard from the premier uh, often, frequently, particularly early on in the pandemic when it comes to testing, uh, that we were falling short of the goal, that uh, he was frustrated that not enough tests were being done and they weren't getting back uh, quick enough. Uh, Has the Neighborhood Pharmacy Association, anybody spoken to the government? Uh, Do you need, uh, you know, permission, if you will, uh, from them, uh, an okay from them to go ahead with this? Yeah, this this is this is something that that a lot of pharmacy stakeholders have been have been discussing with government. Um, you know, we've been pointing to the success of the Alberta model, the way that it's been able to um, expand capacity in Alberta, and it's a great opportunity for Ontario to uh, expand capacity for testing. We know that uh, testing is the single way to confirm uh, whether somebody has uh, is or isn't COVID positive, and and we know that Premier Ford made reference to this uh, to evaluating the opportunity to make testing more accessible to Ontarians through community pharmacies. He's, he's mentioned that a couple times. Um, and, and we're continuing to discuss how to make that uh, work in Ontario. Is there enough test kits available? Do you know, Sandra, even if uh, you were to get the green light in the uh, go-ahead, are there enough uh, kits out there? that? Uh, because, again, the, the key is uh, testing uh, moving forward to try to keep the uh, numbers down, obviously. So if you were given the uh, okay, is there enough uh, kits uh, to go around? Yeah, so it's a good question. Early on in the pandemic, there was a bit of a, a challenge with um, acquiring enough testing uh, kits, but now that's not an issue anymore. So, um, you know, the capacity is is um, is there. It's a matter of making it more accessible to encourage more Ontarians and more Canadians to go get tested uh, when and where they need um, that service and that support. So we think that pharmacies, just given their accessibility and their convenience, um, provide a really, really great opportunity to be able to make it easier for, for, for people to come in and, and actually get tested. Yeah, and testing, again, is just so important and so key, Sandra, because, you know, we've got back to school and maybe, uh, you know, a parent might be concerned if their child is uh, showing some symptoms, they want to get a COVID test uh, right away to know if they're positive or negative. I know you've also got to have a a COVID test to uh, visit a loved one in a long-term care facility now as well. So there really is a, a demand and a building demand for tests. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Sandra, really appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Uh, thanks so much. We'll watch this closely. Thanks again for for having me. Bye-bye. Our pleasure. Sandra Hanna is the CEO of the Neighborhood Pharmacy Association. And as you heard, they have been uh, lobbying, campaigning the uh, government, building off the Alberta model to do COVID uh, testing at your neighborhood uh, pharmacy to get those uh, testing uh, numbers up, which, once again, is just so key when it comes to preventing a, a second wave and keeping our uh, COVID caseload down.
And that does it for the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Thursday, September the 3rd. Thanks, as always, for listening. And don't forget, you can listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.